0: Hello and welcome to the first episode of my new podcast, The Global Agora. My name is Andre Matyszek and I work as a deputy head of Foreign Desk in Slovak Devi Pravda. My guest is Mark Galeotti. He is, as his Twitter bio says, an analyst of murky topics from Russian politics to global crime. And his podcast is called In Moscow's Shadows. Mark is an author of a number of books about Russia. Most recently, We Need to Talk About Putin and A Short History of Russia. And Russia is also again in the news. Czech government decided to expel 18 Russian diplomats, as it concluded that Russian military agents were involved in an ammunition depot explosion in Czechia in 2014. Two Czech civilians were killed at the time. Czechia is also searching for the GRU operatives Alexander Mishkin and Anatoly Chepiga, who were also involved in Skripal poisoning. So let's talk to Mark. What is your reaction to the news from Czechia? From what we know, and if we connect some dots, especially with the involvement of GRU people like Mishkin and Chepiga, what would you say was the aim of this operation?
1: Well, it does seem to have been part of an operation to try and deny Ukraine military supplies. Um, Because the very fact that we also had, there were these um, explosions in depots in Bulgaria as well as in Ukraine and the uh, Novichok poisoning, apparently, of the arms dealer, Gebrev, who actually, you know, was was buying the munitions from the Czech depot. Um, you know, it may, definitely looks like a kind of coordinated campaign at a particularly kind of crucial mo- moment when, frankly, the Ukrainian forces were in a terrible shape to try and ensure that they also weren't able to quickly rearm. Mm.
0: Yeah, and but how it is even... Possible uh, that the West let this Russia murder and sabotage squad to work for for it seems for many years that Mishkin and Chepic are now becoming kind of a almost a legendary. So <laughs> what 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 happened? Do you think that we we made some mistakes that we led them to basically to operate freely? I
1: think there's elements of that. I think particularly you know, what the West failed to appreciate was the extent to which, in some ways, Moscow was serious about what it said. Um, you know, we, we had the Russians basically presenting themselves as feeling that they were in an existential political struggle with the West. They felt the West had, in effect, declared political war on it, and particularly the Maidan in Ukraine. Um, you know, again, it was so easy to dismiss Russian claims that this is all a sort of CIA and MI6 operation as just empty propaganda, without realizing that to the paranoid old men in the Kremlin, that was true. They really thought that Ukraine was the, you know, was basically being stolen from them by the Western, foolish big special forces, special services. Um, And, you know, and then so they began to respond. So I think we didn't really appreciate the extent to which, in effect, we were at political war with Russia for years. Um, And that's why, in a way, there were various data points around, but we weren't really putting them together. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, So what do we do know about how uh, this operation or the various operations related to GRU people like Mishkin and Chepik but also the others, what do we know about how uh, the group or squad or what a unit, however we call it, what do we know about how it was established?
1: Well, I mean, there's a certain amount of mythology about Unit 29155, Um, and certainly some people have made it into being much, much bigger and more powerful than it really is. They regard it as, you know, behind everything from political disinformation to, to killing. My assessment is that essentially... We've known that, you know, really, and, and ever since it was originally created in Soviet times, that the GRU had units which were essentially specialist sabotage and assassination elements, and it's been you know, they, they, they've been called all kinds of different things over time, because part of the sort of the operational security is you exactly, you just change your name from time to time. So you know, we, we, we we've known it was there. Um, And it was, for example, the unit that was also responsible for killing Chechen president-in-exile Zelenkan Yanbarbiev in, um, I think it was Qatar, or Mm -hmm. Dubai or Qatar, I forget. Anyway, so you know, it's been around for a while. Um, But again, what what just seems to have happened is that, you know, it, it was regarded originally as a very sort of specialist unit that you might need in exceedingly rare circumstances. But if you needed it... It was good to have it. Again, I think what we've seen is certainly from 2014 onwards, that it has become a sort of a mainstay element of Russian operations. But very much as I said, I mean, the, these are essentially throat slitters. These are the people that you, 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 you summon to carry out wet work, as, as, as they would call it, you know, killings, um, rather than being anything more subtle or sophisticated. Mm-hmm. Uh, what
0: is the status of this unit now, if we can say?
1: Well, I mean, as near as we can tell, it's, it's, it's alive and well. I mean, you know, they, they might have changed its number. Um, we're, we're, we'll find out in due course. But, um, you know, I, I think what we have to realise is that it's just doing what the Kremlin wants it to do. Um, now, of course, the Kremlin would obviously like it, like that it, let's say, had actually killed Sergei Skripal, um, or that it, it, its activities didn't necessarily come to light. But you know, but basically speaking, you know, it 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 is it is doing what it's meant to be doing, and um, you know, as far as we, we can tell, it's it's basically still in full operational order.
0: Uh, and do we see any signs uh, from the, especially from the Western intelligence, trying to stop it? As, as if you said that it's still <laughs> kicking and alive, we can
1: say. Well, yes, I mean, because this is the interesting thing, because you know, a, a lot of this has really come out ever since the Screep Owls, you know, the Salisbury case. Um, and people have then been, been kind of retrospectively putting things together, I mean, as in this case with the checks. Um, the, the, the the tricks that they used in terms of, you know, the false documentation and so forth, um, it's a little bit harder for them now. Um, and, and certainly, you know, I, I, I do know that there is a lot more Western intelligence resource being directed against not just the GRU in general, though that's true, but but specifically this unit, and trying to find out everything they can, and particularly trying to find out who they're about. And we've seen that, you know, actually, if one looks at the successes of Bellingcat, in terms of identifying people there, yeah. So, you know, I, th- I think I think there is activity, but in some ways, the thing is, most Western activity is directed towards preventing these people from getting into their countries. So, in some ways, it's actually much more undramatic. It just means that someone who was meant to come in to carry out a hit doesn't get issued a visa or similar, rather than anything more exciting.
0: Uh-huh. And. Is this the right approach, would you say? Or maybe we should maybe try also something a bit more exciting, like uh, being more active to prevent the activities of uh, GRU and, and, and the others? Well,
1: IS. I mean, that's, that's entirely possible. I mean, there's, there's, there's two strands. I mean, again, it's not so exciting, but obviously sanctions and calling people out. And you know, I think the, the Czech move is you know, it's, it's really quite striking. If I think of when I was in Prague, which was what, 2016 to 18, I actually got, must have got quite unpopular with the foreign, or certainly with some people in the foreign ministry, because I was calling for a much more solid response to Russian intelligence activities. Um, you know, Clearly, I, I'd like to take all the credits, but I, I, I obviously cannot. Don't claim any of it, but um, you know clearly, actually, what what's happened? You know that the, the, there has been a, a definite shift in attitude. So, so there is the diplomatic kind of sanctions and and, and retaliation kind. Mm. More generally, um, I mean, it's it's tempting to think about more active approaches. You know, involving trying to I don't know lure people into sort of effectively ambushes, which is what in some ways happened to Wagner in Belarus. Um. But the problem is this. I don't think the West is willing yet to kind of, on its side, move into a full kind of covert war footing with Russia. Um, because if we do that, then we are necessarily going to be generating an escalation. The Russians are not simply going to back away. I mean, you know, we, we have to accept that if we start being, being more sneaky and you know, more active in our operations... But in the short term, so too will the Russians. So it's a question of, do we have the political will to do so? And in some individual countries, yes. But the West as a whole, I don't think so. Mm
0: -hmm. And should we do it? Should we escalate? You know, I know it happened in 2014, but it's an attack on a civilian installations. Yes, there was Mm -hmm. ammunition and so on. And two ordinary Czechs were killed. Again, I know 2014, so seven years, but I would say that this is really crossing all, all the red lines. I can somehow I can somehow understand an attack on a former uh, Russian agent, sleeper, or or Chechen president. It's horrible, but I can mm-hmm. somehow understand it. But you know, now we also have a, and it is the same with Salisbury. Uh, there was a let's say, quarter damage, but we also have two that checks. So it's, uh, I don't know, it, it seems simple to me that this is really crossing all the red lines that are established in this, even this very grey area of of, of of intelligence operation and so on. Don't you think yeah. so? Oh, well,
1: yeah, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, by all, again, it, this is still sort of fairly speculative, but you know, the, the suggestion is that actually... The intention was that the booby-trap munitions would go off later, probably when they were actually in Ukraine, rather than while they were in the Czech Republic, but that something went wrong. Um, again, it's this kind of characteristic mix of, in some ways, highly professional covert operations and, in some ways, ugly and dangerous blunders. Um, and, yes, I mean, obviously, you know, when, when, when you start getting innocent people being killed, then that does cross a certain line. Um, but again, I mean, I think emotionally, I agree with you entirely um, that this, you know, that, that this is, is different. But I think the issue is that you might say we cannot deter retrospectively. I mean, after the Skripal case, there was this massive exp- you know, range of, of international expulsions, um, which I think you know, did, did, ha- did have an impact on, on the Russians. Um, with this case, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I mean, we've already had the British Foreign Secretary um, expressing solidarity with the Czechs. So I hope we'll see more such statements from other countries. I think that, that's quite important. Um, the, the, the question is whether we want to kind of set policy in 2021 based on what happened in 2014. Um, I have some cautions about it. I mean, what I do think we ought to be doing, and again, I think the problem is so much of our relationship with Moscow is based on public statements, which is, I think, a mistake. Mm-hmm. I think that what we should be doing through whatever channels are available is quietly telling the Russians, look, um, you know, you, you, you're going to carry out your, your covert operations. We, you know, there's unfortunately nothing we can do to stop it. However, be aware of where our red lines are now, that we will, you know, we will not accept innocent suffering from, 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 your, from your attacks. We will not accept the sort of that sense that you can operate with impunity and violence across our borders. And these are the kind of responses which, which, we, will, which are, we are willing to, to make in response. And again, I think, I think the Russians, at the moment, they still are of the belief that we talk a lot, but do little. Now, I think moves like this Czech move kind of do help convince the Russians that we're serious. But the trouble is you've got to set that against, for example, the very, very lukewarm German response. To the shooting of a Chechen in Berlin at the end of 2019. Mm-hmm. So I think the, you know, the key thing is, you know, we need to act, but we really do need to demonstrate international solidarity. Um, that I think is going, to, is going to be crucial because otherwise, what happened when, when, when the Germans decided not to respond? They didn't just tell the Russians we can carry out wet work in Germany. It actually told the Russians, ha, huh, okay, the Europeans are much less solid than we thought.
0: Yeah, this is probably uh, you're probably right here. Uh, uh, but there is also a question if we indicate, if we indicate to Russia that okay, you cannot cross some red lines then what? Yeah, international solidarity is one thing, and I think we will see a lot uh, for Czech Republic, also from Slovakia, and we might see some other other Russian diplomats uh, being, um, uh, being kicked out from countries, maybe another round of sections, but then if there... I know, again, 2014, but if the Red Line was crossed, uh, what can we do?
1: Um, yeah, talking about what, what we can do, but again, this isn't. This is a much much wider issue. Mm. My view is that we have actually in the past been really quite unimaginative about how we respond, um, and, and therefore I, I, I think what what we need to be doing is is thinking more creatively. Yes, we obviously expulsions of diplomats, those kind, you know, the usual sorts of sanctions. They're all they're all very helpful. They're, they're definitely part of the toolbox. But we need to think more, more broadly. What can we do that actually will, will, will inflict costs and, and be noticeable to Putin? And sometimes that actually ought to be in, in active terms and in asymmetric terms. I mean, For example, um, you know, what, what we could easily do is communicate that look next time you try any, any such operations, we are going to dump 20 million euros into assisting Ukrainian counterintelligence or Georgian counterintelligence or we're going to provide more support for emigre organisations operating in Belarus. You know, things that actually matter to Putin. Or else what we're going to do is actually look at, I mean, take the whole you know, issue about Sputnik V, um, and it's interesting that obviously the whole question of, of, of Czech use of Sputnik V is now up in the air. Mm. Um, you know, again, I mean, on the, on the one hand, obviously, we want to be saving people's lives. But given that Europe has a massive oversupply, of in terms of unused supply of AstraZeneca, to say nothing of other various um, vaccines, we should be actually absolutely saying no. You know, Sputnik, Sputnik V will no longer be even entertained in in Europe, and nor will it be produced because we have, for example, in Italy, a factory which is actually going to be producing Sputnik V. So you know, I mean anyway, we, we we should be thinking about asymmetric responses. Because this is how the Russians operate. They look at the whole board, if if we're thinking in chess metaphors. We have a tendency to think, well, if you move a pawn which we don't like, then we have to move a pawn. We don't have to be locked in to that kind of approach.
0: This was the first episode of my new podcast, The Global Agora. Subscribe, listen on Spotify, Google Podcasts and all the other platforms. Thank you for listening and stay tuned. Uh